taken from Mark 2, 13 to 17. It's on page uh, 1014 of the Church Bibles about the calling of Levi. Mark 2, 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, I always seem to trip up on that hurdle. Okay, we are now good to go. Thank you, Andy, for reading that. Um, great to be with you. My name's Kath, and um, Rich and I love leading All Saints um, with these guys and many others. And I have to say, there are many moments where we feel very proud of you as a church, but this morning, watching you do the actions to My Lighthouse was one of those moments where I felt particularly proud. Amazing, very special moments. Um, so, as um, Owen was explaining earlier, we are right bang slap in the middle of this teaching series, this year of biblical literacy, which has been fantastic. We've done this journey through the Old Testament. Some of you may be reading along at home. Um, if you are well done, you're doing a better job than I am. So the last few weeks, we've been doing about Jesus, um, looking at the New Testament, and we've been focusing on the Gospel of Mark and Jesus's. We've been looking at various aspects. So before we go on to today's um, subject, today's topic, I just wanted us to dwell for a moment on the name of Jesus. And we've been singing about it this morning, haven't we? But while we're on Jesus and looking at the gospel, let's just spend a moment dwelling on this. 
And, and it's the joke, isn't it? If you ask a child um, in Sunday school, what's the answer to all the questions? The joke is that if they put their hand up and say, Jesus, they're going to be right. And it's almost like the name of Jesus can get banded about, uh, around fairly easily. And we can forget the power that there is in the name. So Rich and I um, had dinner with some friends on Friday night and um, they're people we've not known for a massively long time and, and during the course of the evening we were sort of sharing our stories about how we'd come to know this Jesus. Um, none of us had grown up as Christians. And, um, and I was telling them about how, um, as a student at university, I had ended up going to some talks that a friend of mine had sort of been dragging me along to try and get me to hear about this guy for so long. And I finally kind of said I would um, and went along. And as I sat there, I heard the name Jesus. And I can remember sitting up almost in my chair with the shock almost of, of the importance that they were attaching to this guy, to this Jesus. Um, and that moment was the thing that really began to shift things for me and what led me to make a commitment to following this person. Um, it also reminded me, just dwelling on the name of Jesus, reminded me of an incident not so long ago um, that I experienced at the school gate, um, a place that I find myself very often at the moment, at this stage of my life. And um, I have lots of friends there who I do life with. And um, one particular day, one of these friends kind of called me over, looking like it was fairly urgent, you know, really, come on over here. And um, so I went um, to see what was the matter. And she explained to me that um, one of her children, her youngest child, had been in a situation during the day where she believed that he had been in contact with an evil spirit. And... Um, and she didn't know what to do. She's a, a real community person. She'd been asking everyone around her, do you believe in evil? What do you think about evil? And so there was a, a kind of quite a crowd around her. And, um, and she asked me, knowing that I would have an opinion on these matters, she called me over and said, what do you think? Do you believe in evil? And what should I do in this situation? Believe me, there are plenty of times where I don't have a good answer in these sort of situations and afterwards I kick myself. But in this particular moment, I just knew that um, I needed to say to her that she didn't need to worry, but if it happened again, if these strange manifestations that she believed her child was um, exhibiting happens, that she should just speak the name of Jesus over him. So the school bell went and I rushed off to get my kids. Um, and later in the day, she texted me and said, you'll never believe what happened. Um, my son um, started manifesting this strange behavior again as a result of what he'd experienced. And, and so I did what he said. And I spoke the name of Jesus over him. And she didn't do it just once. She said it three times, just spoke the name of Jesus over her small son. And she said, you'll never guess what. In that moment, the, the first piece of the whole day just fell over him. And he fell immediately into a deep and peaceful sleep. And he slept for several hours and then woke up completely back to normal. And it never happens again. It was extraordinary. So the name of Jesus 
it has power. We have a tool at our disposal, not just for us, but for the people in our community who don't even know this Jesus. So on to today's theme, um, which is that Jesus is radical. Um, and I said I would speak on this because it, it's something that God, I feel, has been speaking to me about since the beginning of the year, and I feel like he's been disturbing me, really, about this whole theme, um, and particularly about outsiders, um, and about choosing me choosing to locate myself on the outside. And probably like you, this isn't something that's natural for me. I, I'm somebody who likes to be in the thick of things and be where the fun is. Um, I like to be where the action is, probably like you. Um, and so choosing to do this has felt really uncomfortable and inconvenient at times. And I've had to choose to stay in that place instead of run from the discomfort of that. But here's the thing, when I'm in that place, even though it's uncomfortable, I can't deny the presence of God with me. So I've been turning over this idea um, for a few months, really. Not all the time, but at times. And, and just praying about this whole, uh, whole idea of insiders and outsiders. And so I've been reading this, um, this chapter, Mark 2, that um, we read earlier. In, 2000, in 2013, the, the shocking news broke that the newly elected Pope Francis had been sneaking out of the Vatican in the dead of night to feed the poor. And it would appear that this unbelievable act was the last thing the world's media were expecting the new Pope to do, unbelievably. Sources said that he just couldn't help himself when he saw the Vatican almoner going out at night. He couldn't help himself but wanted to go where he was and go to the poor. And as we've seen over the last four years of his papacy, this is a man who is filled with the love and compassion of Jesus and is prepared to radically break with the way things have always been in order to express this love which just flows out of him. And, and the world's sat up and taken notice, hasn't it? His actions have acted as like a prophetic statement to the world. And in our passage today, we see the origins of this radical and boundless love that is drawn to the margins, to the least and the lost. So let's remember that this scene that we've just read is one of the first accounts reported in the Gospels of Jesus' earthly ministry. And his blatant association with a sinner in this account was, was bold and it was almost obnoxious in its boldness. And it was a statement to the Jews and especially to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, those who had it sewn up. It would have felt to them as if he was saying, you know that law that you've been observing for thousands of years, carefully observing, making sure you don't put a foot wrong? Well, I'm above it. But, of course, it wasn't actually obnoxious, was it? 
because his actions were a proclamation of who he was, the fact that he was God. And, and he was hinting at the new covenant that was coming, that would be coming. And like Pope Francis, he just couldn't help himself. The compassion and love just flowed out of him. He had to go to the margins, to the outsiders. But at the time, this was so radical that it got under the skin of every religious leader in the day. The question for us today is why was it so radical? Why was mixing with sinners such a big deal? What was it about his actions that made the teachers of the law so irate? And to understand exactly why the Pharisees were so shocked, we have to understand the Old Testament law. So in the Old Testament, the people of God were given a series of laws for how to behave. And of course, they're so lengthy and detailed that they take up the first five books of the Bible. Of course, it's important to remember that the law was motivated by love, to teach the people how to love God and how to love each other. But God knew that they were going to mess up and fall short of these laws. And so out of love, he gives them a means of forgiveness and access to God in this situation. So, of course, this is what the tabernacle, the sacrifices, and the Levitical priesthood were all about. And many of you will have heard Laura's wonderful talk earlier in the year on the law. And if you didn't hear that, it's well worth tuning in on the website. And this gives you loads more detail if you're interested in having a look at that. And it's really complex. But for the purposes of today, this is what you need to make sense of this passage in Mark, which is that the law was intended to ensure the Israelites maintained their identity as a holy nation. And one of the ways they were to do this was through division, through the division of animals, people, and land into three categories. Basically, they were divided into holy, clean, and unclean. And let's remember again, these were about God's heart to provide a way to bring his people close to him. It, they were all motivated by love. And as Laura reminded us, they were to demonstrate that God was holy and he was associated with things of life. But the laws created division. The people of God were inside the law, inside the covenant. They were the holy nation, the chosen people. Meanwhile, anything that was unclean was to be placed outside of the camp. So in Exodus 29, it talks about Moses when he's performing the ritual to consecrate the priests. He's told, burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside the camp. It's a sin offering. Um, there's a writer, Craig Bloomberg, who um, writes a fantastic book on this. And one of the things he says is fundamental was the notion that unclean people and objects constantly threatens to corrupt God's holy elect nation and individuals within it. Like literal physical disease, 
we may think of ritual impurity as contagious. So eating with unclean or unholy people, as we see Jesus do in our passage today, it was just not a thing. The uncleanness of the sinners was deemed as actually being contagious. This meant that the religious people religiously avoided anyone who was sinful and unclean. And into this system comes Jesus. And for this religious culture, the way that Jesus was behaving, this eating with sinners malarkey, would have deeply offended the Pharisees. They'd spent their whole lives dedicated to loving and following the law and teaching others to follow them and do the same. And they saw themselves as the insiders, the holy ones, the healthy ones, and the clean ones. And then here's Jesus, brazenly eating with sinners and tax collectors and seemingly paying no attention to the law. And you kind of have to feel for them really, don't you? Because this system that they've been following for all this time suddenly is getting completely turned around. They just wouldn't have seen that coming at all. What they failed to grasp was that Jesus, in, his, in their midst, was showing them by his radical actions a whole new way. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be sure that we see these radical things. So four things about Jesus' radical words and actions that I think we need to understand. First of all, Jesus went outside. He went outside the camp. So right from the beginning, we see Jesus was out there interacting with people wherever he found himself, whether it be on the shores of Lake Galilee, whether it be in Capernaum, in the town, and he was meeting the needs of those he came into contact with. But why was it okay for him to do this? Why was it suddenly okay for him to behave in a different way? Of course, Jesus was God. So he didn't need to be worrying about being contaminated by sin because he knew his holiness was greater. It's like when you bring a small torch, even a small torch, into a dark room and the light from the torch can't be um, superseded by the darkness around. The light is greater. Jesus turned things on their head. Instead of being contaminated by the world's sin, he'd come to spread his contagious holiness. And this burning holiness, this contagious holiness, compelled him to go to the outsiders. Like Pope Francis, he couldn't help himself. And so here was the astounding thing in that time. Jesus saw it as a priority to go to the margins. And of course, the sinners and tax collectors weren't materially poor, but they were spiritually poor. And as Jesus reaches out to them, offers them a hand, they respond because they know their needs. Jesus was revealing the heart of the Father, this Father who runs to the prodigal son, the one who goes to the one lost sheep. 
let's not forget that, of course, Jesus had also gone to the religious people. He hadn't neglected them. He'd gone to where they hung out. So we read even in Mark 1 that he went around the region going to the synagogues, preaching in the synagogues of the day. But for Jesus to be going beyond the synagogues and to be teaching it and healing and performing miracles in the streets was like the sign, this, um, this action to show them that God was breaking into the streets. And at the same time, he was breaking the divide between sacred and secular. The law-abiding Pharisees, the insiders, they didn't recognise Jesus in their midst. In fact, they rejected it because it was offensive to them. It was offensive to the law. But the sinners, they recognised Jesus. They knew that they were outside of God and they ran to him with eager hearts. They wanted in. Secondly, um, Jesus made it possible for the insiders to go outside. So Jesus was God, that's all well and good. He could call the sinners to come and follow him, and he didn't have to worry about whether this contaminated him. But what about everyone else? What about the Jews? What were they supposed to do? Was it okay for them to suddenly break with the law and go mix with the riffraff all of a sudden, these people they've been told to avoid? And the answer, of course, is yes, because he was God, and Jesus' presence changed everything for them. Jesus was inviting the Jew and the Gentile to come and follow him wherever he went. The point of the law was to gain access to God, but now he was God in their midst. So those who had carefully followed the law for all this time could enjoy the fulfilment of the law, God in their midst. They were being invited by God to join with him in showing compassion and mercy to the people on the outside. But in the meantime, they'd forgotten their story and they'd forgotten that they had been recipients of God's love and mercy and grace so many times over their history, over the years. And of course, they'd forgotten that they were still in need of his compassion and mercy. So when the Pharisees ask Jesus why he's eating with scum, he tells them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. All saints, let us never forget that we're in need of a doctor just as much as the next person. Romans 3 says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Number three, he made it possible for the outsiders to come inside. So we have to remember that, that the Jews were a chosen nation. They were carefully pre preserving the presence of God to be a testimony to the world. They were supposed to be people that others looked at and said, that is where God dwells. So if you weren't a Jew, for thousands of years, you were basically an outsider. But suddenly, the outsiders were being invited in by God himself. 
So I had my own wonderful experience of welcoming outsiders recently. Um, and these were ethnic outsiders, these were Syrian refugees. Um, some of you know that some of us have been involved with welcoming um, the Syrian refugees to Worcester um, recently. And this was a family who arrived in the last few weeks. And of course they have been displaced for years from the place where they call home and where they feel insiders. And here they are in this strange city that they've never been to, where they don't know the language, where they feel like they're outsiders. And I had the most amazing privilege of uh, giving them a small token of our welcome, a, a box of stuff that you guys and others had, had donated to them just as a way of saying welcome and standing in the gap. And I was able to present this box and just hug the, the lady and tears just ran down her cheeks as she felt the welcome as somebody who was an outsider. Um, so if this is emotional, imagine what it would have been like for these sinners, for the outsiders, to be invited in by God himself. It's no wonder that those who watched on for years, like Levi, probably knowing and feeling their needs, were welcoming Jesus with open hearts. But of course Jesus did more than just meeting the needs of the outsiders and inviting them to follow him. Those who are outside of the law, the Gentiles, might have been given access to the Holy of Holies, the equivalent of the Holy of Holies, by meeting Jesus himself. But they still were in need of, of having their sins atoned for. And for this, we need to look, for the cross, look to the cross briefly. So let's just glance at Hebrews 13 for a moment. And Hebrews 13, 13 says, Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. So when Jesus was put to death on the cross, they of course crucified him outside the city. Because as we've seen, according to Jewish custom, this is where they took sinners and all that was unclean and disgraceful. And that's what they considered Jesus to be. The Old Testament tells us that they would burn the bodies of animals outside the camp as a sin offering. And here was Jesus, God's own son, giving his body as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He willingly became a substitute of all that is unclean and all that is associated with death, so that those who are outside the camp would have their sins atoned for, not just once, but for all time. So actually, by inviting the outsiders in and the insiders out, of course, he was in fact abolishing the ancient divide between insiders and outsiders, clean and unclean, 
sacred and secular. It was like he was announcing a level playing field. And the rules of the game were these. Know that you're a sinner and someone who needs God's grace and mercy. But then knowing you've received it, go to those who recognise their needs of it too. As C.S. Lewis says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So, as we start landing the plane, so to speak, let's just look at why this matters for us. So what? So what? That Jesus ate with sinners. So what? That he abolished ancient religious divides. Like, what does this actually matter for us as Jesus followers in the 21st century? And there are a few things I think that we can really take hold of. Let's remember that we've been brought close to God. We need to take hold of our identity, I think, as people who are radically and undeservedly brought close to God once we were outside of the camp and we've been brought near and we've been invited to participate in the most loving of relationships Father, Son and Holy Spirit let's remember that Jesus came to abolish divides and I think this is just as radical today in many ways as it was back then We must not fall into the tempting game of divisions, insider and outsider, good, bad, spiritual and unspiritual, church and world. Instead, let us be people who see a level playing field on which all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And let us not try and pretend that we've got it all worked out And actually, I think it's quite a relief to know that we can rest in the knowledge that we're in need of a doctor just as much as the next person. Let's be people that are confident that we're contagiously holy. Let's remember that we have the light of Christ in us. We have a presence and holiness in us that is brighter than anything around us. And often we won't feel like this is true, but we can remember that the Bible tells us that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, that as we go into a room, it changes the atmosphere. And we need to know this, don't we? Because as Christians, we find ourselves in a time where we are on the outside of culture. We're on the edge. And we need to know this as we go to the places that we go. So let's be confident that Jesus dwells in us and that this means that we're light to the world and that we can go to dark places without fear. And so knowing that we're loved and knowing that we're holy, let's go. And I guess this is what I really want to say, because this is what my heart really burns for. 
let's be people who go to the outside. And all saints, we are so constantly in awe of you, um, of all that happens, all that's sprung up from this community. Um, when we see the work that you do in the places that you go to, the doctors, the teachers, the shop assistants and all that you do, the stories that we hear of life springing up around you and of the ways that you're representing the city in, in um, loving the people around us. We've been thrilled to see the way that um, CAP and Food Bank and Hope for Justice and amazing to hear about Good Soil this morning, all the things that you're doing in this city that are bringing a light. We're so proud of you. But what I want to say is let's keep going and let's never get weary of doing good. Let none of us be too busy with church or too cynical about whether it's worth it. And it might be that going out is something that feels very natural for you or something that you struggle to do. You don't like to go out of your comfort zone. But either way, it's not an option for a follower of Jesus to stay in the safe confines of church circles, in nice small groups, mixing only with the respectable. And let's be people who go not just to the comfortable situations, but who go outside the camp, doing as Jesus did and suffering for the needs of others. Following Jesus means that we're called to lay down our lives so that others might have life. And our call is to follow Jesus in actually bearing the suffering of the world. And we know, don't we, we've heard stories that in some parts of the world, like the Middle East, this means literally laying down your life. Um, many people have lost their lives, particularly in recent years, places like Syria and Iraq, um, where being a Christian has meant that it's cost people their lives. But for us, it there are still ways to be um, an outsider and it might mean that we need to scan the staff room wherever we work and look for the person who's sitting on the edge maybe the person who doesn't fit the person who doesn't have friends maybe when we're standing at the school gate if that's where we find ourselves it's talking to the mum who doesn't have friends the one who's not in the thick of things where the laughter is Perhaps it's stopping to feed someone who's homeless or going to a people group whose ways and preferences are not our own. And let's remember, it's not just a one-off event, is it? This is about a long-term commitment of, of walking alongside. As Neville was saying, it's about walking al alongside the vulnerable, even if we don't see any tangible results. And here's the great news to finish. As we go to the margins, we find Jesus. Jesus loved to be on the edges with those who were poor in spirit. And he'd often choose to locate himself there rather than at the, at the religious centre. Although, of course, Jesus is found right at the heart of a Christian gathering where two or more are gathered. Hebrews 13 again. Let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. 
let's be clear that followers of Jesus are instructed to go out to him, outside the camp, not for him, because out there is where Jesus is, in the hostile, Christ-rejecting world. So what I'm saying is this. The radical Jesus calls us to a radical life. And sorry to say that this means kissing goodbye to comfort and embracing the suffering and the disgrace that Jesus bore. But what we'll find is that as we go to those outside the camp, we partner with God in seeing the kingdom come in the lives of those people who see their need. And what is more wonderful or beautiful than that? Okay, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray.